Welcome back to Ghostly Talk. This is Scott L. This is Amber. We had fun tonight. We did. Yeah, we had a really good time tonight. Uh, and and super cool. And it just so happened, and this was not planned, yeah, I know, that with weird. Tobias Wayland on our last episode, and then Seth and Adrian uh, Breedlove on this episode, they're kind of connected with the small town monsters. Um, yeah. Well, at least the Lake Michigan the Mothman. They're, Small Town Monsters is going to be doing studying like... Studying a lot of the same arenas. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. working with Tobias on doing a documentary and all yeah, that fun yeah, stuff. And yeah. so... That anyway, was, that really was. I didn't plan it that. I just no, kind of just, it No, it just that worked out smoothly. It just but worked out in the schedule. What's super cool right now is there's kind of a... I, like a... I don't know. I think there's like a little revolution. Renaissance. A, that's what I was actually thinking of. Uh, Renaissance. Renaissance. Of paranormal Ooh. TV. Yeah. Because... The smart people are sick of seeing the dumb stuff on TV, and also a lot of us don't have TV anymore. Like we have TV, but we don't have cable, so I can't yeah, watch I don't, Travel I, Channel or yeah. if I wanted to watch Ghost Adventures or any of we those have shows. Cable, what we don't no, have we have like channels two through thirteen. Garbage cable. We used to have the broadband, and that's yeah. all we care. Well, about. Well, we can watch Fox, ABC, NBC, like that kind of stuff. But, I honestly, but none of the other. I haven't else. sat down. To watch like a TV show, I can't remember the last time I said. I'm like, I'm gonna watch a show on TV. Well, I I watch my shows on on the streaming services like Hulu, Netflix. Well, Prime. you know what? And, and uh, not to derail us too much here on the point, but I do want to point this out because I sent this link to you um, this morning because I'm super excited about it. There, oh. speaking of Hulu, yeah. Because I think people would, I, I'm I, I'm going nuts for this. Uh, there is a new series starting on Thursday called Devs, and that actually is directed by Alex Garland, who's one of my favorite directors. He did uh, Ex Machina, he did Sunshine, and he did Annihilation, which was his newest film. Well, I was excited that now this is unfair because I'm completely blanking on his name as a real person. But I was like, oh my god, Ron Swanson's in it. Yeah. And I'm blanking on his no, name. No, no, and I and I was just that was the next thing I was going to say is it has uh, the dude, the dude. Yeah, I, I'm, and I'm on the IMDb page, and I still and I can't, can't I still can't the... unsee him or unhear him though. Like oh, he is, is forever Ron Swanson uh, to me. Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman. Nick yeah, Offerman Nick plays Offerman. a main role in this thing. Yeah, so, um, and it's called Devs, and it's Alex Garland. He just has a way, and it just it mystifies me. And I guess it premieres this Thursday at the time of this taping, uh, this Thursday, March 5th, 2020. So I'm sorry. I, we we were talking about that. It just popped in my brain and I wanted to mention that. See, like we get excited for stuff we see on streaming services or the internet. Well, that's the point. Yeah. That's right there. Yeah. And we talk about this in the show a lot that equipment is affordable now. And even if it's a little expensive, it's not like what it used to be. No, it's 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 and within a certain range. You can range. film a movie on your iPhone if you wanted to. It's been done. It has been done, but it's and it will look good compared to my first ever video camera, which was um, not high. What was it? Not high eight. Was it high eight? You I think that yeah. Super expensive. HD no, no, that camera. was my first digital, and that's when those that was were a super thousand expensive. dollar camera. Yeah, and those were super expensive at the time. Um. Because I didn't, my phone couldn't do that yet. Yeah, that was yeah. not a thing. Um, so anyway, it's just amazing what independent creators can do now on their own. Um, they can get the help of their of interested people with Kickstarter. So tonight we talked to Seth and Adrian Breedlove, 
and they're the creators of Small Town Monsters. Yes, which is a set of outstanding. Well, I just said out because you said outstanding. Out, out, I, <sighs> green Frog. <laughs> what? What does that mean? What does Wall. that mean? What I'm, is trying, to, I'm okay, trying to get stop. you to say random words. Stop. Go. So go, anyway, go. they are creating documentaries that did start out more in the crypto world with Bigfoot and uh, large birds and just all, all kinds of fun, interesting stuff and UFO things. And then they're kind of going into, they hope to go into like more ghost stuff and everything. Like it's the paranormal. You can go on forever. So uh, they have a Kickstarter and you can just Google small town monsters. We'll have the links on our website. Yeah, it'll all be is, there. You can Google stuff. It's easy to find. Google it. And you can go help their Kickstarter. They have a few more, like maybe a couple more days from when this podcast first goes out. Uh, and throw a few bucks well, at them. The time of this recording is like 50 hours left. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And so, anyway, go help them out because help they're doing out. really awesome movies and they want to continue to do awesome movies and we need more intelligent paranormal stuff out there. And it's happening. Independent paranormal Independent stuff, paranormal out stuff yeah. without the hokiness of stupid networks that want to do the same dumb thing over and over again. Down with the man. Down. So anyway, um, so yeah, we had fun um, talking cool. to Seth yeah. and Adrian about all kinds of cool stuff. Tell us movies. all about them, Amber. Um, I, I, we have a really mini bio. Where's your... Seth and Adrian Breed love are really awesome people. I think that's better because it's really, it's what I said. Small Town Monsters began as an independent <laughs> film series exploring lost and bizarre history around the United States. Focusing on small town <laughs> folklore, our team tells stories through the words and experiences of those who were most affected by them, residents and witnesses. And that is like the sole purpose of a lot of their uh, documentaries. They're actually going out and talking to the people They're, who saw the, the Flatwoods monster yeah. or who saw that giant pterodactyl fly by. And they're like, you know what, damn it, I got to tell someone about this. Because I, I appreciate when those people do that. Because obviously, as we know. It takes work. It Well, it takes courage to say those things and then actually say them on. Oh, yeah. That. Yeah, on, on tape. Mm -hmm, exactly. Where it's there forever. 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 So anyway, enjoy Seth and Adrian Breedlove and our discussion about their project, Small Town Monsters. Coming out of a bunker in Michigan, goes the talkies in your ears again. Buckle up, give your head a spin again. Adrian Breedlove, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. It it kind of works out great because our last episode we were talking to I don't, that was just a flip. It, it was, I, but I know, I know. But we were talking to um uh, Tobias. Um, why am I blanking oh, his last name? <laughs> yes, thank you. So it, it's kind of like a perfect flow. Yeah, yeah. Seeing the first movie that I also watched by you guys um, was Terror in the Skies. Which focuses oh, yeah, yeah. a lot on like the big giant birds and of course the Lake Michigan Mothman and mm -hmm. and all that fun stuff. So um, first thing though, I want to just tell you guys congratulations on your Kickstarter. Oh, thank you. Yeah, hey. uh, yeah. We're 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 actually part of the Kickstarter was the um, 
the stretch goal was going to be is going to be this on the trail of the Lake Michigan Mothman that we're actually going to make with uh, Tobias and Emily. Yeah. And I couldn't believe when when it when it launched up, I, I was only able to throw twenty at it. I wish I could do more. <laughs> but no, I was, no, that's I awesome. know I know everybody I know everybody yeah, yeah. counts. But then it, I know you like, with yeah, you thanks, thanks. So then within like <laughs> three days though, I couldn't believe how much you guys had raised. I mean, that's amazing. It is it's amazing. It's impressive. And and so I know you guys how much more time do you have to go? Like I have something that says sixty hours, but it's probably less than that now. I think it's yeah, it's um, just a little over forty eight. I think we're at it would be 50, uh, 51 hours left yeah, as okay. of right now, right at the end. And so far, my last note was like you guys were at sixty nine thousand. So that is amazing. Wow. So yeah, congratulations. That means you you guys are doing something right because people care and they want to give you their money. So. Yeah, that's been <laughs> uh, that's been like the crazy thing to watch because we we've we've actually done Kickstarter campaigns since. The very first year we did this, this is actually our sixth Kickstarter. Wow. Um, so we've done we've done a Kickstarter every year <clears throat> that goes into you know the ev- everything that we produce throughout the year, and we've watched it go from the first year we raised six thousand, which we we asked for five hundred. Yeah. Oh, that's that uh, pretty good. Then mind blowing. <laughs> yeah. It's still kind of mind blowing. Yeah, it's all it's all pretty mind blowing. So so to see it go from like six thousand to where we are now, which is it it'll be. A, 70 or over at the current rate so yeah nope that's amazing so with what you guys do I, I really appreciate people like you and the project that you're doing because so often in the world of cryptozoology and these one kind of once in a lifetime moments in the paranormal like a lot of times with cryptids like they they appear once and they disappear mm-hmm. that's it mm-hmm. and right. all, all you're left with is being able to to talk to witnesses and get first-hand experiences from people and with what a lot of the documentaries you guys have been doing i noticed that that's what you're doing and i i know that's probably your intention correct oh yeah i think we've always um we've always I, my favorite cases are the lesser known um for sure like the, our first movie minerva monster was like this unknown sort of ohio bigfoot case but the thing that really yeah like the biggest thing for us is always making sure that we have as many of the people that were actually involved in the case um, as as we can in the in the project, and that I think that's like the biggest thing that sets what we do apart from, you know, a lot of the stuff that's on like national television and and things like that. Um, my dog's about to pull my microphone cord out of the computer. <laughs> um, but uh, so so like that's always been that's always been our biggest concern is getting the people that are involved in the cases in the project. And if not, um, you know, if we can't get like an abundance of witnesses, then to get as many people that are from the areas where we are making these projects involved as we can. And because that's what drew me to the whole idea to begin with was actually hearing from people in the community or that experienced something about their experience. And I think like given we're at, um, you know, the Mothman Legacy will be our our tenth, our tenth feature film. But we've also done three of these miniseries now. Um, I was asked the other day, like, how many interviews we've conducted. It's like over 150. So, like, wow. we we, you know, and of those 150, there's a good number that are eyewitnesses. And I think we've spent a lot of time and effort, uh, and continue to spend a lot of time and effort on each project, like going after the people that actually experience these things because i think that's who people 
really want to hear from. I don't think people are as interested in hearing about, you know, I mean, God bless like the, the people that we have in our projects as like experts or whatever. Yeah. But, um, but the, the biggest thing for us continues to be those, those witnesses. Well, and, and hearing some of these stories, because I know I don't think I don't think you guys talked to these people. I think it was just sort of a well-known, famous case. But in the in the Terror in the Skies, you guys were talking about uh, a mom and a son, uh, the Lowe family. Yeah, and, Marlon. Yeah, and that was so disturbing hearing about this little boy who sees mm-hmm. this giant bird, mm-hmm. tells people about it, and Lauren Coleman mentions that he had bright red hair, and within mm-hmm. two years, the next time he saw him, it had gone gray. And he regretted yeah. ever telling anybody what he saw. Yeah, and I think um, that that particular segment of the Lawndale segment of Terry in the Skies is one of my favorite parts of the, of that movie, mostly because of Marlon's story. But it's like a Marlon's story is indicative of of a lot of witness stories, and, and especially from that era, like pretty much pretty much anything preceding sort of the last. 10 years that that was basically the witness experience was that they came forward with something um they were ridiculed just relentlessly yeah ridiculed made fun of we experienced we we found that with um minerva monster um which i keep referencing so i should probably mention what that is real quick it was uh, the minerva monster case was a case that happened in minerva ohio back in 1978 where a family um started experiencing strange things on their property that involved this upright hairy creature in the woods behind their house. And they called the police. The police came out to investigate and, um, believed that the family was telling the truth and that something unexplained, uh, was going on. So with, in that case, the family experienced the exact same thing that Marlon Lowe did. Um, their story went national, hit all the, all the media outlets. And suddenly like the, the Caton children were being, mercilessly sort of made fun of and the thing about the low family that's disappointing is it sounds like basically after those initial articles ran uh everyone else that was involved in that story sort of walked away from it so they could avoid being lumped in you know with with the lows and um yeah it really negatively impacted the rest of marlin's life well that's something that jogged in my mind concerning the interviews you guys do and i know amber you have experience with this too with some of the stuff the research you've done with your books and it's have you guys ever run into someone like that where because i mean we just got done talking the last five minutes about people being ridiculed you know having issues because of them having a story like this right uh did you guys ever have a person that just flat out said or people, I should say, uh, that just flat out said, like, I don't want to talk about this. I Whatever experience, just leave me alone. I don't want to have any more trouble. Did you guys ever run into someone of that sort? Yeah, I'd say that's yeah. actually... It's pretty normal. Yeah. And members of the Caton family outside of Howie um, weren't interested in being on camera. The Harrisons, when we did Momo, yeah, were, I would, I were would receptive say... to our, our outreaches for interviews um, so it definitely, it happens a lot. Um, I think Seth is pretty. It's probably like good I, I, at getting people to to change their minds. You, and, you very often can't even get in touch with the people to begin with, but um, we definitely get turned away um, more often than than we uh, than than people would believe because the, the, the number of times I've been hung up on, uh, you know, 
told told that the people didn't want to talk. I went to um, when we were making Momo the Missouri Monster. I went to one of the the families. Um, house out of desperation because we, we we didn't have anyone involved in in the initial sightings of momo the missouri monster in the movie and one of the children was well a few of the children are still living but but i went to the house of one of the ladies and i talked to her for a minute but it was it was pretty apparent like she didn't want anything to do with it and like adrian said the the caton family from the minerva case um what happened with that one was we we actually had been told for like three months by Howie Caton, who was at the time he was the youngest boy in the Caton family. Um, he had told us multiple times that he did not want to be interviewed. And then one day I managed to convince him to do an interview. <laughs> we set up the time. Um, I showed up at the house, walked into the house. And by then we'd established a relationship with the family. We'd been, they'd actually been letting us film uh, on their property and they were very friendly. Like they were totally cool with us being yeah. around the property, but, but how he did not want to be interviewed. And we had convinced him to do this interview. We showed up with our cameras and tripods. We get all the equipment out. We go walking up to the house and how he comes out the front door. And the first thing he said to me was, um, I changed my mind. I don't want to do this. And uh, uh, well, that would just piss and, me off. I'm sorry. That would just piss me <laughs> off. I, at that point, I'd be like, okay, look, I'm here, man. Yeah. No, <laughs> Come on. Well, I, I actually, I went inside with him. I said, yeah. let's go inside and talk. And so we went into his house and his wife sat down and him, his wife and I convinced Howie <laughs> to do this interview. Um, and so luckily we ended up with that interview. But yeah, I, th- I think that's actually the, the predominant number of witnesses we speak to do not want to be interviewed and um you know i think that's i, I think, think it lends to the believability of their stories yeah too, oh yeah totally they're not, they're not out there trying to capitalize on yeah. it you know i it just makes it feel more genuine too when they do decide to go ahead and come on camera i don't and i don't think that that witnesses for the most part are are profiting off of their encounters um you know, like even people who do come to us and say that they want to talk about it immediately or ask us if they can be in a project. But I think Adrian's right. I think like there's there's a, a credibility that comes with people who don't want to relive this thing over and over. I when we made the Flatwoods Monster movie, um, we were we were the first people to ever interview Ed May, who was one of the boys who 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 recounted seeing the flatwoods monster and we were the last to interview fred fred has swore off doing any more interviews now oh, wow so and that that was a lot of work getting them to be involved that so, was largely due to your dad too yeah <laughs> that was also your dad really bonded yeah my dad <laughs> my dad uh, actually went with me to film their interviews which i did on purpose because i knew that ed may was a civil war buff and my dad my dad is yeah and um so I took my dad with me to do this interview and I had dad talk to Ed and my dad is the one who convinced Ed to be in the movie. That's so clever. <laughs> yeah. So we, we will go to great lengths to ensure that witnesses are involved. But I do think that, I do think that the dominant number of, of, of people, witnesses we speak to don't want anything to do with being on camera. Yeah. Well, I think it, it, it has, it, it does help a little bit that we have so many other films out there too, because mm-hmm. I think that 
obviously a large concern is that somebody's going to agree to tell us their story and we're just going to make a circus out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you read so my we mind. Have, you read you know, my mind. a body of work out there where people can go and look at this and say, okay, they tell genuine stories. They're not, you know, embellishing things. They're not going to take my story and do something I don't want done with it. So mm-hmm. I think that that, works in our favor yeah it's like having a resume or something yeah and that's exactly where it is and that's how you read my mind on that because that's what i was you know on this topic of like why people don't want to talk to 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 people about their stories whatever they may be i think you know history unfortunately hasn't been kind to stories like this and mm-hmm. it hasn't obviously hasn't been kind to people who have these stories and like you said a lot of times someone goes and does an interview and then, yeah, next thing you know, they're, they are in the middle of a circus or they're being ridiculed by the, by the very people that interviewed him. We know the, how that stuff works. Right. Well, yeah, I was going to say, happens. I was going to say with the Flatwoods monster case, yeah. um, you know, that, that story involved these, these kids in this tiny village in, in the middle of nowhere in West Virginia who, who climbed a hill one night and encountered like a, a 12 foot tall mechanical being or object. And that's it. Like that's their story. Yeah. And that story has been uh, added to and has morphed to such an extent over time that it's like unrecognizable to what their actual experience was. And a lot of that had to do with the newspapers at the time that got a hold of the story and interviewed them, like literally changing the words that were coming out of their mouth to the, to, to such an extent that by the second day that, that that story was running in papers all across the country, what had originally been a, a 12 foot tall rocket shaped object or being had become a, a 15 foot tall fire breathing Frankenstein like monster. Oh my God. <laughs> Typical. No, I, go ahead, Amber. <laughs> I was, I was going to say with with interviewing witnesses, and you guys are working on uh, one of your upcoming projects is on the trail of UFOs, mm-hmm. and I'm really excited about this because there is a lot of dorky UFO stuff out there, <laughs> <laughs> and for real, and it's getting with all the attention that UFOs are getting right now, and like the whole like to the stars and just like all the drama out there with everything, it's mm-hmm. just kind of getting fun and exciting again. And yeah. I have to I ask you, Amber, though, before you go any further, have you been to a UFO conference? They're ever? fun and it's not dorky. No, it's not. No, our Michigan one they're is not They're fun dorky. and they are very dorky no, and they're awesome. <laughs> there's nothing wrong no, with that. It's awesome dorky. It's But it's not, it, there's a different crowd there. That was, It wasn't just all a bunch of tinfoil hat type wearing. No, like, I know. Paranoid. I know. Like there but was. But it's Michigan, awesome dorky though. Well, we're talking, Michigan finally started doing a, a UFO or yeah, paranormal conference. I'm wearing the T-shirt. I, guess. Yeah. I have the T-shirt on right anyway, now. Anyway, it's awesome. And now they're going into their third year. And when the first year I went, I thought, oh God, it's all going to be conspiracy theorists and like old guys and like just weirdos. <laughs> and we get there, and <laughs> it there is goes that whole fear. that oh. whole demographic will not listen to this show ever again. Thank That's goodness. okay. <laughs> but it was the most fun ever, and it really was a wide variety. No, of it was people. amazing. Yeah, I mean, we met some really amazing people. And and I cool. think that's what's happening in the UFO community. It's starting to finally mix. It's not just oil and vinegar anymore where it's like okay ghost people in that corner uh bigfoot in that corner and ufo over here like they're starting to to mix and we all know like I, there was some story what was it that i just did her and i think it was on one of you guys's documentaries i was watching where they have like bigfoot sightings with ufo stuff maybe oh, yeah. it was a dare that happens a lot yeah that the the invasion on chestnut ridge movie is okay. all about uh 
aliens and and that was yeah. and or UFOs and Bigfoots, and then the, it's mentioned a little bit in on the trail of Bigfoot as well, well. I mean, off the top of my head, the only Bigfoot film that we've done that didn't have any mention of UFOs happening alongside it is Boggy. Minerva it happened with did. Minerva. Well, it happened, but it's not. It's mentioned. not in the film, but it did. There were things happening, and then Whitehall. It mm. also happened. So yeah, it's very frequent, actually. Well, when you guys were interviewing, because I'm assuming you interviewed people, um, you know, witness uh, contactees, anybody with the UFO thing, did you find those people starting to open up a little more? Oh yeah. Or were they kind of the same as with the the creature sighting people? Um, I think. <laughs> nice one. I, th- I think it's. Um, I think it's a pretty. It, it's exactly what you'd expect. The older crowd is pretty set in what they think is going on, and the younger crowd seems m- more open to kind of exploring everything. Yeah. Um. You know, you've got guys like Stan Gordon who. Yeah. Who have always been open to everything, and um. You know, and 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 but you do have a lot of the the nuts and bolts. You know, guys who don't really entertain the more out there, like interdimensional. Right. Um, concepts and, and things like that and i think w- with ours with the series that we're doing i think it's very um objectively taking a look at the entire phenomenon so we definitely go into some really weird mm-hmm. weird weird places well like, in uh, invasion we had the mohawked bigfoot mm-hmm. and the, yeah yeah There's but yeah with and- with ufos i think we um we for for the most part, I would say everyone's kind of in their camp, and that's the that's the camp they stick to. And I've seen that since, you know, since um, I guess since we started getting into this with with all the interviews we've done, that's people people get entrenched in what their their theories are, their beliefs are, and then that's where they are, that's where they're at. And it's interesting. I keep getting asked, like, um, do I feel like I know more about UFOs? <laughs> Uh, having made this series and i think i actually know less yeah, exactly like i came i came uh, into it thinking i kind of had it figured out or had a pretty good idea of what was going on and now i'm coming out out the other side like there's there's so many different things going on that i don't think you can have a um like a theory of everything no you know like when it comes to when it comes to Bigfoot, my my personal opinion is it's some sort of undiscovered ape. When it comes to UFOs, it's like a hundred different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I always stayed away from UFOs just because they always freak me out, and mm-hmm. I don't know, it just was never my you thing. Watched Fire in the Sky, and it I watched you out. Fire in the Sky <laughs> when I was fourteen, <laughs> and it was not good. Oh so, yeah, that was no. So. Uh, but but then I, I don't know what it was. Something – well, I had a couple experiences of my own. So I saw something in the, a couple things in the sky, and I was like, okay, mm-hmm. wait a minute. What is going on here? So I start getting into it and start researching it more. And then as I opened up that can, it was like – like you said, like I'm like, I don't get this. Oh, my God. There is so much stuff. So sometimes some of the books, I don't even know if they're right. Because mm-hmm. someone wrote them back in the day, and they'll be like, "Yeah, that guy's research was all wrong." But then everyone's well, reading I, that I book about a certain thing. I wouldn't call it all wrong. Thing. It was coming from a perspective well, that may be obsolete. Yeah, now. but or trying to lead people the other way. I don't know. It's like it's weird. It is. It's mm-hmm. so weird. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah, I, it's a. It's a uh, in 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 one year of filming this, uh, and and putting together eight episodes that range from like conspiracy conspiracy theories to like mystery lights. 
there's so many angles to the UFO subject yeah. that that my goal for the entire series kind of morphed as we were making it because it started out like it was going to be a very art on, on the trail of Bigfoot series or like on the trail of champ. Those are very cr- chronological sort of simple looks at, at these subjects and it's, you know, very historically rooted and all that kind of stuff. And I did not see as, as we were making this, I started to realize that on the trail of UFOs, we could not make chronologically because you would spend eight episodes just getting to like, just getting through Kenneth Arnold yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, out of the flying saucer era. Yeah. So, so for us, it became about, okay, let's take, take a look at the phenomenon and, and use the series as, as a way to introduce all these people that are coming into the UFO subject right now because of the popularity of the subject because of like TTSA and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Um, let's use this as a way to introduce those people to the subject, introduce them to all the various aspects of, of, of the phenomenon that are, you know, sort of important and um, also use it as a, a great way to return uh, ufological v- visual visual medium like like film or documentary return that to to putting the focus back on the people who are at the root of the whole thing so your investigators and your experiencers and your witnesses and that was like the mission statement became let's return the focus to the people and stop focusing on the drama the gossip and the uh the the quote-unquote celebrities that are driving it on paranormal tv right now yeah, and, and I think people have like a, a hunger for that because you're seeing a lot of documentaries out there that are stepping away from the usual little roadmap of like going to a house, scream at some things, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, check your evidence the next day, talk to the people, the homeowners, and then like move yeah. on. And and I think that's just getting tired and and, and just done. Well, and I, and I know I don't know right. if you guys are familiar if you watched Hellier or not. But they're a good. Mm-hmm. I think they're a good example of like just pick it up, do something completely different, do it yourself, mm-hmm. and it's it's been wildly successful. So I think that's the mm-hmm. direction everyone is going, and it's wonderful. Well, what are you going to say, Scott? I think. Well, I think people are smart. I mean, fifteen, sixteen years ago, seventeen years ago now, uh, when these shows started up, across all the different things like UFOs, Bigfoots, ghosts, whatever they might be, I mean. I know, I know we've been screaming and yelling about it for years here. Like, okay, it isn't quite that simple. There's a lot more to it than that. You have to spend hours and hours reviewing evidence. You know, just don't do it over an hour <laughs> and stuff like that. I think yeah. people might be a little bit, may have grown in this field. The people that- Like they figured it out finally. Well, yeah, they may have, <laughs> while they may have become in, interested and inspired to study this stuff a little deeper because of media and whatnot, I, I like to think that some people have grown and- the number one thing for me, and I've always been jealous of people, and I don't care what you know what area is in the paranormal who could take something and really spend time with, like, like let's just say, like a haunted house, right? Like they actually have the permission to go there and spend time every weekend or a couple times a week and do that for a handful of years. To me, I've always been very jealous of someone, who, you know, or a group of people who could do that. Um, because they get focused on a place and actually maybe get some statistics from that. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a that's a big part of the um, the uh, like like Bigfoot research that I've always yeah. thought about. That you know, like so much of that should be driven by 
like going into one area and staying for for X amount of time. But I think your problem, I say this as someone who now has been, I mean, we've been doing this for five years. And in that five years, we have dealt with, uh, I mean, probably 30 or more production companies in Hollywood. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would say at least more. Oh, so I'm sorry, we were, <laughs> we're like well aware of what goes on, you know, behind the scenes with that stuff. I think your problem, and, and really why I think stuff like Small Town Monsters or you know something that comes along like Hellier are a res- it, more than anything. I think we're a response to Hollywood. Yeah. Like I, 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 I you can't. People are going to continue to to go to to network TV looking for the paranormal content that they want, but I don't think you're ever going to get it there. And I, and I say that from a place of knowledge of dealing with these people, like they don't get it and they're never going to get it. They have a, they have a, they have a, like a mandate that they follow and there is, there's nothing, there's no creativity allowed outside of like what, what they think they know about, about, you know, focus, their focus groups and like what demographics yeah, are telling them their analytics is, is it's analytics driven storytelling. And, and you're going to, at, at some point they're going to start ripping off. They were already ripping us off, but we've been around a little bit longer. At some point they're going to start ripping off hellier, oh, yeah. but the problem, the, the problem is still going to be, they're just doing a Hollywoodized version of what right. we do. And it's never going to, it's still not going to, it's still not going to do anything original. And so that's, you know, that's the, that's the upper hand that independent content is going to have over something like the travel channel where they're, they're locked into doing this like set format that is, is overseen by a, a, a friggin' board of like yeah. 50 people that have, that have final say in anything. Well, and it goes back to what we were talking about a little earlier about interviewing people and, and talking to people. Um, mm-hmm. I know myself, if someone came and wanted to talk to me about something I may have experienced, like the UFO sighting that I, I had with Amber, uh, if, if it was a couple, like, like people like yourself and said, hey, we're doing this documentary, we're, you know, we're this independent company and we're doing our thing and we'd like to talk to you about the thing, I'd be like, yeah, sounds cool. Come on by. We'll make coffee. We'll yeah. hang out. It'll be fun. No problem at all. <laughs> but if I got an official law- like letter from the lawyer of you know Acme, TV company, whatever, call it whatever you want, from their mm-hmm. lawyer saying, we'd like to interview you, and this is what we're prepared to do, and blah, blah, blah. I mean, frankly, I'm going to think it's a joke. <laughs> I'm going to be well, like, this is it's ridiculous, not even, It's man. not even that it's a joke. It's like, how are you going to portray me? Well, that's, and that, well, right. that's, just, that's the right. next part. I mean, naturally, I'm going to move right to that and go, I don't trust you. I know what you're about. I don't trust well, you. You know, you know how they dance around that, though? They, they actually they enlist researchers and investigators to act on their behalf right yeah we've received <laughs> multiple requests from production companies to get us in touch yeah. with people that we've interviewed this is and this we is, would never do it no i mean this is all, this just, is almost what was the one we had one in the last few months where a guy had watched invasion on chestnut ridge and gave us a list of the people he wanted us to put him in touch with oh. that are in our our movie and i just oh. responded and i was like you let me get this straight you like watched my movie and now you want to rip it off with your million dollar tv show like we made that movie for five thousand dollars you know i'm not I, we're not giving you anything like yeah. I, I i went off on the guy because like no, I, I don't, don't blame have, you we we no longer have 
any patience for this stuff for like <laughs> for the for the Hollywood production companies because we're well aware at this point of what right. they want to do. Yeah. They well, want to exploit us and they want to exploit the witnesses. It's just unbelievable too that they would assume that we would just breach those people's trust right. by just like sending hordes of TV networks <laughs> to them um, so they can you know stick them on TV. And change their stories or, you know, edit around things to make it more sensationalized. Yeah. We would just never do that. Yeah. Well, they're depending on the dangling carrot idea. That's what it, I mean, I hate to say it, but that's really where it is. I, I think yeah. that's the other side of this thing, too, where if somebody comes to you and they have that official stance about them it's a dangling carrot thing like oh well oh man and let's just be frank i mean i know this is obviously not the case with you guys but some people they're not driven the same way and the first thing mm -hmm. they go oh i might be able to get a paycheck out of this right. this might be it's really cool yeah this time. they got they got money for days well you know what are they gonna miss they can give me a hundred grand or whatever it might be for just for me to send them an email i'll take i mean i've seen this <laughs> yeah it oh, yeah, scares yeah. the hell out of me uh and yeah. i think that's what that their, their pretenses is it? Oh, this will be easy. We're we're from this big company. Everybody knows us. They they'll do whatever we want. Why would why would why would they say no to us? Right. So that's just that's just my thought. Yeah, I think it, and I I do think you're right. Like I think it acts against. I think there's a reason there aren't many original witnesses that end up on these shows anymore, um, and I think it's because of the fact that people know how they're going to be portrayed on some on on a lot of the network shows. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying like every show out there. You know, like I used to love, I mean I I love like In Search of and some of the older shows, but as far as like the way witnesses are portrayed for the most part on TV, I think I think they know go already there's a there's a uh, assumption how they're going to be shown on on television and there's a hesitance now to be involved in that stuff which is why the networks will automatically tell you we will we're going to pay you x amount of dollars to come on camera you know yeah there's no discussion of well, we're interested in this story and we'd like to talk to you about this mm -hmm. that's usually but that's not the pretense the pretense is just that like we'd like to talk to you here's this here's this big pile of money here yeah and i think i, I, I think also like and I hate to just have this turn into like us rip. Well, actually, I don't hate it. I love it. But, um, <laughs> we'll move on, on quickly. Networks, I promise. Like the, I, I don't even think that they see witnesses or the witness stories as important. You know, like there's a there is a they look at it and they say, oh, this we, we can do something cool with this. We can make this scary. We can make this creepy on camera. And I've and I've been told by multiple people that they've been encouraged to heighten things to like add elements to their story to really i forget who was recently i talked to who had had like a men in black encounter it was nothing mind-blowing yeah. just you know they'd encountered like some men in black and the uh when they were went on a network show to talk about it they were pulled aside beforehand and they were like if you want to add s some things here to really like help spice it up they were literally told going into the interview that they wanted you know, the, the network wanted them to add some elements so the story wouldn't be yeah. uh, sort of blasé or whatever. Uh, you know, it's, it's I'll, I'll keep it brief, but it reminded me of something that happened like that. That was about 14, 15 years ago. I was actually going to a place here in Michigan called the Fenton Hotel, which is a nice place we'd like to go to. And there was some pretty interesting stuff that was reported there and a couple of things that we experienced as far as going to check out the ghost thing. Right. And 
I don't know how it. I got asked to do an interview on some radio station. It was a. It was not a huge station, but it, it had an AM band, and um, it just happened to be that same night I was driving up to the Fenton Hotel, and. I had my. I was talking, you know, on the phone on the way there, which would not be a smart idea now. But back then, it <laughs> nobody cared. So, <laughs> so I was just on my phone doing this interview, and we were just talking about stuff. And they're like, "So, you know," and I could just hear the guy's voice. It was like that, that radio voice that I'll never like. Hey, how are you? Hey, I, 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 just, I I'll never have a radio voice like that. Uh, yeah. And I it just, I could smell it coming off of him a little bit, and. I, I made the mistake of saying they're like so you know tell us about some investigations you I'm like well um, we're actually I'm going somewhere right now I'm gonna talk to you and then I'm gonna I'm gonna get off the phone and go do that thing oh dude you should bring us in the house and do a live investigation on the phone with us and I'm like no I, I don't want to <laughs> do that hey, well come on we gotta do that hey we gotta go to break and we went to break. And, I, and he was talking to me on break going, come on, man, go in there and, man, we'll play it up. It'll be totally, I mean, he was playing it up, like winding it up like a story with, like, with this little great little conspiracy we we're going to put together. And, and I'm yeah, like, boy. bro, man, I don't, no, no, I'm not yeah. into this. I go, oh, you've kind of already bothered me by talking to me with just the weird voice you have. It kind of creeps me out. <laughs> um, but I'm not going to walk into a building with my friends who are waiting for me there with all the equipment and stuff set up, ready to go. And they go, dude, I got this radio interview I'm doing right now. It's going to be totally awesome. I'm going to act really scared, man. And I'm going to go completely nuts and run down the hallway and freak out. It'll be the most wonderful radio we've ever done. I couldn't do that. And it's a, it's that we- it's a weird thing just like that. I'm like, I'm not playing yeah. anything up for you, man. And I'm like, hey, man, it was nice talking to you. Can I go? Because, you know, it's cold. I want to get a cup of coffee. I'm tired of dealing with you. So, I mean, that happens more often than not, I think. It really does. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, sure, yeah. It, it, it's easy to kind of beat up on on the networks and stuff like that. But I think that comes from, at least I know for me, and this is from almost 20 years of doing this stuff, independently, just doing our podcast and whatnot, I like there is there's a certain thing with being an independent like that. And mm-hmm. it does carry going back again, going back to the whole interview thing. I, when people see the work you guys do, for example, or the work, hopefully the work we do, too, and they see the love and the respect that's put into it. And they, it's just like, I want to hear your story, man. That's all I want to hear is your story. That's where people will want to come talk to people, I hope. And I think that there's a. I think that there's a where where media is changing. While we do still have networks and stuff like that, media is changing, and I think for the better of the independent producer, whether it is in movies or whether it's podcast and whatnot. I, I think just uh, way I was thinking about this, the quality, because I think yeah, I think yeah. we're about the same age, Seth and Adrian, and are you guys like thirty nine? We're all big kids, right? Okay, uh, I'm 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 an old I'm yeah I'm 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 up there. I'm in I, my late thirties. Adrian's had, yeah. younger. I had the vibe. I'm a little younger. Oh, children. So, kids. so old. <laughs> and, kids. and he's not that old either. He acts like the old man because he's got a couple years on me. And I got gray hair in my beard. Okay. So anyway, but think about back like in the 90s <laughs> yeah, yeah. or even like early O's. Like you could not go grab some equipment without it costing tons of money. And it would yeah. still look like utter crap. And you'd upload it up to the internet or like early YouTube or something or make a, a bad DVD. And now it's amazing what you can do with just yeah. your, your phone. Well, we we would literally not exist um, six years. If we had started six years ago, seven years ago, I don't think that we would exist because so many things fell into place at the right 
time for Small Town Monsters. We kicked off, we started filming in 2014, in the summer of 2014, on our first project. And for the first year, all we had to work with as a distribution me- uh, distribution means was DVD. So we li- we literally just sold DVDs and then had digital copies available on Vimeo. And that was, that was it. And yeah. we, we were, you know, I was still working a full-time job. Adrian was working a full-time job and that was what we did. And then the next year was when Amazon opened up to creators and that was like the turning point for us. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you had, if we had started a year or two before, I don't think we could have sustained ourselves long enough to get to where we are today, where yeah. this is our job is making movies. And so just, just technology changing in that short span of time. And the streaming platforms and yeah, everything the that kind of came up. It to just, up. And, and, and I mean, even in the filming, if you get into the filming technology, that alone as well would, would have, you know, I mean, the digital, we couldn't have done this on camcorders really right, and, no. and obviously we wouldn't have been able to afford uh the rolls of like film um, yeah. <laughs> you know to do what, what we're doing i mean we've made uh we've made nine movies and three three miniseries in five years and you could not yeah. have done that you know like you couldn't you we couldn't have done that 12 years ago so it's the technology has changed drastically and in some ways that's that could be a hindrance or a negative because you'll you'll get a lot of people that are just diving headfirst into it and and putting a lot of crap out there but the thing about that is those same people are probably going to learn over time how to do things the right way cuz yeah. like if you if you go back to our first movie it's not like the greatest thing on earth i hear a lot of complaints actually and this is solely <laughs> about like filmmakers right now but i hear a lot of complaints from filmmakers or old school filmmakers about how technology has ruined filmmaking because because you get all these kids and and people who've never made a movie just diving into it and making junk right but i mean you've that's kind of like how we figure out how to do what we do is to make a lot of junk that's the best way to that's the best way to learn music works the same way I mean, there's yeah. a ton of crap out there, and then like the jewels come out, like they they stick around. So and they might come out from the same people. Yeah, is the thing you know, like the same people that make the crap in the beginning. If they're if they're worth anything as a filmmaker, if they're if they're a legitimate filmmaker, they're probably going to make a bunch of crap in the beginning, and 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 then eventually it'll turn into gold because that's just how this that's how this works. If you're if you're a creative person, a big part of that process is learning from yeah. the mistakes you make well and, and I've, I've heard the same and, thing about podcasts and, and internet radio we've been hearing it for years it's the same thing i mean there's especially with the technology the way it is now i mean it just gets faster and faster and easier to do mm-hmm. these things and yeah and i've had people say this exact same thing they're like well you know there's just so much noise out there mm-hmm. and which is like i guess that that translates to crappy podcasts <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's noise and there's you know you've got to really search hard to find the good ones um to me, you know, the way I look at it, though, too, is that I've seen some, there's some stuff like whether it be any type of art, I don't care what it may be, that I consider absolute gold sometimes. Mm-hmm. 
and then the rest of the population considers it <laughs> noise, basically. And that's movies, mm. music, whatever it might be. So I think it's a matter of perspective, though, too. Um, yeah. But I do think, you know, there is something to be said about, yeah, you know, if you are really producing a very high-quality thing that, that you work very hard to get there, yeah, it may be kind of hard to get your name out there and stuff like that. However, uh, on that point, I, I saw a quote yesterday that totally applies to this, and I've been thinking about this since I saw the quote, and it was just simply, be brave enough to suck at something new. <laughs> and I thought, yeah. I thought that was such a great quote because it's really true, and it rings true to what we're talking about, too. What I always say is is be too dumb to fail because, like, um, <laughs> yeah, I get I get asked very often, like, how how we got to the point where we are now, which makes it sound like we are some wildly successful like company we're not but we're we're able to do what we want to do and and we are able to make a living at it and so that that in itself is a success but i i always say the the best advice i can get is to be too dumb to fail and just there comes a, a point where every every sensible thing that you know and every logical voice that you speak to or hear is going to tell you you probably need to quit and go do something else. Like you probably you've you've driven yourself into the ground. You've you've hit the wall. You know, like, and I've always been too dumb <laughs> when it comes to small town monsters. I've a always, little stubborn. I've yeah. Always, yeah, a little bit of stubbornness. <laughs> but I've always been too dumb to listen to those voices, and I just kind of keep blundering forward, and eventually it works <laughs> out. And there's there's when it comes to this sort of thing, that is a I think that's a big part of of doing it. Like you just have to be too dumb to fail. <laughs> I no, love that. that. That's a hundred percent true. It, it works both ways. Uh, let's talk about the Mothman legacy a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. um, there's been some questions uh, on that, on this, and how you guys plan to expand the story for, uh, to a new film. Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we actually, we've already shot five of the interviews for it. We're still in the, in the, um, production process on it, but, um, it's so in 2017, we released the Mothman in Point Pleasant, which was our look at the 1966 and 1967 Mothman flap that happened in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Mm-hmm. And, um, the Mothman legacy is going to pick up after the 67, uh, silver bridge collapse and sort of bring you up to present day. Um, I don't, think it's going to be as that sounds like it's going to be just like a a direct continuation of the mothman and point pleasant it's not it it actually jumps all around appalachia um and it still uses point pleasant at it as as the the small town you know that is at at the heart of the whole thing but it's going to jump all around west virginia um and possibly even into like new york and ohio um covering winged cryptid sightings around Sort of around Appalachia and taking a look at the the uh, the folklore and the history of that region and how it has informed the Mothman story or been informed by the Mothman story. But we've we've done some some of the coolest like best witness interviews I think I've ever done. There was one that was um, that we shot that was super emotional. Um, but we've I mean the stories are unbelievably. Uh, creepy and unsettling and all of them very different from one another. So this is, um, I would compare this more to, it's going to probably feel more tonally. It'll probably feel more like terror in the skies. Um, 
but it is a direct sequel to the Mothman of Point Pleasant. And when you put those three together, they sort of form what we're calling the Mothman trilogy, but it's more like the winged cryptid trilogy. Because you'll see pretty quickly in the Mothman legacy, these are not all your classic Mothman encounter stories. There's, there's what sounds very much like a pterodactyl encounter. There's uh, an encounter that happened with a man um, in his bedroom at night with a a four foot tall winged creature that came through the wall uh, shortly, shortly before his father died. Um, There's, there's, there's some really, really bizarre uh, stories in this one. I'm looking forward to that because I really like Terror in the Skies, especially when I when it started. I was like, oh, there's his face. Troy Taylor. We're buddies with Troy. <laughs> so we were I was like, yay, Troy. Troy. <laughs> Troy. Troy. Um, so I, I'm excited for this other movie that you're going to do, The Mark of the Bell Witch. Uh-huh. And Oh, Ooh, I, yeah. A, I've always loved that story, especially being one of like the United States oldest like haunted cases just super yeah, cool yeah, I mean, it's... and i know in our notes that i we wrote down that this is an interesting subject for you because it's not like you can just go hey let's go interview john bell see what he has to say because right, it's not right. gonna happen well, we can he's, try he's dead. well you yeah maybe seance or something but obviously <laughs> there's descendants yeah and yeah, so what right. what what is kind of the plan um for this project and how yeah. are you gonna how's that gonna um, go so this is actually we've actually shot one interview for this already. We shot it back in November out in Los Angeles, um, but we are. Uh, so I'd I'd qualify what where we are on this one, even though we've already shot an interview. I'd put this at at the middle stages of pre production. So we're still kind of figuring out how the story is all going to play out. But um, what I can tell you is we've done. I've already done preliminary interviews with a couple of people that are in Adams. Um, and that is the biggest goal for me on this one is to involve the community and the people that live there and then worry about getting sort of the, the experts and the talking heads to help fill in the story. Um, my, my biggest goal at the beginning of this is to make sure that the people there are involved and that they want to talk to us because what we want to do is get people that live there that have experienced the negatives and the few positives of that story on the town. Uh, we want we want those people in the film. Um, we have we have a local folklorist who's going to be in it. Um, their local historian is going to be involved, and then there are some. I, there's some things that I don't even know if I'm supposed to talk about, um, <laughs> but I can tell you that there's 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 ongoing there's stuff that's going on still in Adams that no one really knows about that hasn't been in any of the TV shows that have come out about this um that is directly connected to uh to the town itself and to members of the the Bell lineage um so so we're hoping um we're really hoping we're going to have something far beyond just sort of like a a PBS Ken Burns retelling of the bell, Witch story, although that is my, my ultimate goal. I can, I, besides having the townspeople, my ultimate goal, this, the storytelling goal is to have a clean retelling of the bell, Witch story. That is, that is the ultimate goal because that hasn't been done yet. No, it's a, it, reason a very, there, there just hasn't been a clean no. documentary retelling of that story. So that's the, 
That is our storytelling goal. And then to make sure that the town itself is represented and that the people there are represented. And then on top of that, to make some of the creepiest, most unsettling recreations we've ever done. Are you going to do kind of a recreation like you did in Momo, like that kind of like cutaway <clears throat> part, um, but obviously no. serious? No, I mean, Momo. I love those, no. by the way. Those are great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Thank you so much. I think Momo is something that will never. It's just going to be Momo. Yeah, Momo is a standalone <laughs> that we probably, you know, like we knew going into that it was going to be a very very specific audience the polarizing guy, polarizing film, film. <laughs> and um you know like the the idea was to never go back to that sort of story storytelling device we wanted it for that movie and it worked yeah, for that movie we wanted to do it do it big and as crazy as possible mm-hmm. and then just let it that's stay it. its own thing yeah that's its own so no this would be um in terms of the recreations i would compare them to maybe something like what you saw at the beginning of Terror in the Skies. Okay, okay. Um, with, with like the little boy and the, you know, like that's cin- very cinematic, very dark. Um, oh, in black and white. We're shooting all the recreations oh, in black and white. Cool. So, um, oh, cool. So the, the movie itself, you know, as far as B-roll and interviews is color. And then the, um, the, the recreations are going to be um, a highly stylish, sh- very shadowy, uh, black and white and that's been our goal that's that's been the discussion we've been having pretty much since the beginning that was how i saw this going um and and you know like there's something about the fact that this is set in the 1800s i grew up in a family that's obsessed with history my parents owned a historical bookstore for most of my life and we traveled um every weekend from like march to november every year of of my childhood we were gone every weekend doing book shows and we were spending that time at like book shows and lectures and civil war summits and all kinds of stuff like that so i i grew up surrounded by that era of history so it's something i'm familiar with so i'm i'm excited to visually try to recreate that on a on a budget like what we have <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be fun. I'm excited. I have to ask, though, um, you know, given the the subject matter you guys have covered so far, Mm -hmm. to me, The Bell Witch is kind of, I mean, it's a fascinating story, and and I know we love it, but Mm -hmm. what drew you to that story directly, if I may ask? I mean, it's kind of of off your beaten path path a little bit. Oh, yeah. It is off our beaten path. I would say what you're going to see going forward from us is an expansion of what we cover. You know, like, I think the first step of that was – it, it, this year is is the uh, the UFOs project, but then you know going into hauntings and ghosts is definitely something we'll probably be doing more of at some point too. Um, but e- honestly, um, this is no joke. the The main reason we're making the Bell Witch movie is because of one of our crew, who's also one of my oldest friends, Jason Udis, is absolutely horrified of the Bell Witch. <laughs> And he, to the extent that when he had like a a childhood. (laughs) So this goes back to like his childhood. For some reason, when he was a kid, his dad had told him the story of the Bell Witch. And it terrified him to such an extent that he was having nightmares. Um, He couldn't sleep, all this kind of stuff. So his dad uh, told him the only way to get rid of his fear of the Bell Witch would be to burn, to draw a picture of her and burn her in effigy. Oh um, so he, so he did it. 
So as a kid, he burned this drawing of the Bell Witch. But he's absolutely convinced that we're going to go shoot this and he's not coming back. So he told me all of this and I was like, well, that's got to be our next movie. <laughs> so um, so it was, it's really more than anything just to put Jason through the, the ultimate nightmare, like his own, his own living Blair Witch. And I should say, like, he's had... So there is some creepy stuff. He's had nightmares about this going back to Invasion on Chestnut Ridge. Um, oh, wow. He, he, when we were filming Invasion on Chestnut Ridge on the Chestnut Ridge, uh, he had a dream that he woke up. We were staying in this incredibly creepy um, farmhouse in the middle of nowhere that was built in the 1700s. And he woke up in the middle of the, he had this dream that he woke up in the middle of the night and he looked out the window and there was an old decrepit woman standing out on the street under a street light and she pointed up at him and said something i forget what she said like i'm coming for you or something like that <laughs> naturally <laughs> god and so he's been he's so so then like a year ago our research girl what what was heather's dream she was no she was visiting the town yeah but she had a dream she had a dream no, she or she'd had no, she had a dream too. So our research girl, Heather Mosier, she had a dream then. Oh, I know what it was. She she had a dream after she came back from Adams, um, because she actually went to Adams, and when she came back, she had a dream that the Bell Witch was I think it was either in the cabin or in the cave, but Heather walked w- was like in the cave or the cabin and the bell witch was there and she looked at Heather and said um I'm I'll see you guys I'll see you all soon. This is going to be fun. Oh my god. <laughs> Maybe I just blocked that out. Yeah, and so um and so Jason for basically a year, pretty much since we decided this was going to be the 11th movie, um, he's been freaked out. Here's another weird coincidence. The movie, we never put, have put a movie out in December ever. Like it just doesn't happen. So, but this year, because of the way the schedule fell, we were like, we're going to put it out in December. Turns out the, this December is like the 200th anniversary or the 150th anniversary of John Bell's death. Yeah. So we just like like randomly selected that time period and it happens to be like this major (laughs) date relating to the death of John. Those things that's happened to us in the past too, though, with Mothman, it happened. Yeah. With Mothman, we had a lot of like, we released the movie, the year of the Kickstarter launched the same week that the 15 year anniversary of the Mothman prophecies movie with Richard Gere happened. Um, and Zach and I were filming, started filming in Point Pleasant the same day that the Scarberry Mallet sighting had happened, the 52-year anniversary of that. And then there was something else that happened. Oh, we were filming in Point Pleasant on December 15th, which is the day the Silver Bridge collapsed. And there was one other connection there that I can't remember that happened like a year later. I can't remember what it was, though. But yeah, there's been a bunch of them. It has a lot of creepy synchronicities. Yeah. Well, so yeah, I'm going to be we real curious. Have bad luck with people passing away. Okay, after don't. We're oh, not supposed to that say knock that. On after stuff, knock on stuff. Knock on stuff. To be interviewed. <laughs> you guys, knock on wood. Quiet. <laughs> guys, I want to thank you. <laughs> it hasn't you. happened in a, in a while. Okay, that's a that's comforting. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of that has to do with the age of the cases. <laughs> <laughs> 
still. I know, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, we've had such a good time here. I hope you guys enjoyed yourself also. Yeah, yeah we thanks did. for having us. Yeah, cool. Uh, this is super interesting. We're looking forward to seeing what you guys got down the road. Obviously, and, the and, Bell Witch thing is going to be. And you gonna guys so are going to be at Troy Taylor's Haunted America conference yes, this year, right? Yes, yes, we are. Yes, yeah, okay. So we will see you guys there. Are you speaking? I, um, we're doing a screening actually of Terror in the Skies, oh, okay. and I think it includes a Q and A. Okay. Oh, cool. That makes sense because of Troy's face. We'll be there. You won't miss us. <laughs> Big, <Yeah>. Giant banner. <laughs> Guys, guys and gals drinking beer behind the table and talking <laughs> in the microphones. That'll be us. We're, we're, you'll, awesome. you'll see us, I'm sure. We'll, we'll be looking forward to seeing you guys there. And again, thank you so much for being on the show here tonight. We, we can't thank you enough. Well, thanks for having us. Ghostly Talk! <laughs>